Well, this is the final week of a series that we're calling One Word, and we called it One Word because this series really has been about one word that we believe that God has given us and led us to embrace uh, and, and to spend the rest of our lives really uh, as a church going after the mission of hope. We want to share the transforming hope of Jesus. We want people to experience the transforming hope of Jesus. And so if you haven't been here the previous two weeks, I would encourage you to go to our website, Facebook page, uh, podcast, and, and find those two messages. Listen to them while you're on the treadmill or running around or driving around, whatever you want to do, and get caught up. Because I think if this is your church, if you're a part of this church, I think it's important for you to hear my heart and, and kind of hear where we feel like, I mean, this is serious for us. We feel like God is saying, hey, the next 30, 40 years, this is what we're going to do, and we've got the language now. So, so today we're going to wrap up by talking about uh, real spiritual growth. As a part of this one-word transforming you know, hope idea, uh, we gave you three things we feel like God, three kind of roadmaps or a roadmap with three things on it to help us share that transforming hope. We said we want to help people really grow spiritually as a church. We want to help hurting people, and we want to create non-religious environments. And, and so we've been talking about those different, uh, different parts of this plan. And today, we're talking about real spiritual growth, real spiritual growth. If Jesus equals hope, if Jesus is hope, then that would probably also mean that more Jesus is more hope. If Jesus is hope, then more Jesus equals more hope. So let me ask you this question. Could anybody use a little more hope in life? Let me see your hand if that's you. A little more hope. I, you know what I love about the 1130? Y'all so honest because 10 o'clock, nobody raises their hand like, I don't need no hope. I don't, I'm good, you know. Y'all are like, I need some hope up in here. Um, so I love that. Uh, well, if we need more hope, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. We need more Jesus. We need more Jesus. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, um, real spiritual growth, getting closer to Jesus, getting closer to God. How can we do that, getting closer to God? Matthew 7, 24 through 25 says this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, I don't build. I'm not a builder, all right? Uh, I'm not a power tool guy, but I do know this. You want to have a solid foundation for a house, all right? You don't want your house sinking because you don't have a solid foundation. And Jesus says that listening to his teaching and following it is like building a house on a solid foundation. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse, because it's built on bedrock. It reminds me of the story of the three little pigs, right? Remember that story growing up? We got to build our house with the right materials. Got to build our house on the, the right things. And Jesus said, you can build it on the rock. And I don't know about you, but Matthew 7, 24 through 25, it sounds like hope to me. You're telling me that when life gets crazy, wind starts blowing, things start melting down, floods start coming, you're telling me that I can have my house built on rock and it will not fall when everybody else is falling. It's been a crazy 14 days in our country. I don't know if you realize that. Obviously, people getting shot and killed on the street, stock market, like dipping in like a roller coaster. I mean, craziness, right? And Jesus says, when life gets crazy, you can have a solid foundation. I don't know about you, but that sounds like hope to me. 
That sounds like hope to me. And Jesus says, you can have it. You can have it. The closer I get to Jesus, the more hope that I have. Now, notice Jesus didn't say that the floodwaters won't come. He didn't say that it wouldn't rain. Okay, he didn't say that the winds would not blow. Some of you are disappointed. You found Jesus and thought your problems would go away, and you still had to pay taxes the next year, even though you found Jesus. And it's, I've, I've prayed for years he'd take it away, but he won't take it away. And it doesn't say that our problems will go away. But Jesus is the hope that walks with us through our problems. He's with us. He's there. He's there with us. The closer we get to Jesus, the more hope we have. And so Jesus, you don't need a preacher like me to explain this to you. It's very self-explanatory. But Jesus here in Matthew 7, 24, 25 gives us a two, two steps. It's a two-step process to firm footing to solid foundation. The first thing he said is you got to listen to his teaching. you got to hear his teaching. you got to hear the word and the voice of God. So this would be a great place to stop and to just take an inventory of the kinds of noises that you're hearing in your life right now. Like you Think about the kind of noises that your ears are taking in. If life currently feels less than hopeful, what voices are you listening to? What are you hearing? Is the main soundtrack of your life the voice of God. You say, Jason, how could the soundtrack of my life be the voice of God? Well, first and foremost, I'd say reading the Bible. That's huge. Uh, we want to help you do that with those reading plans. I would say being in church, listening to the Bible being taught, you're hearing the truth, the word of God. I would say finding some YouTube or some podcasts or something to, to hear more teaching in my head. I'd say being in a small group to, to talk to people about what I'm reading. I would say reading books that aren't the Bible but are speaking truth into my life. I mean, lots of ways for us to have the voice of God in our life. But if you are anything like me, I maybe give God 10, 20, 30 minutes, maybe, and I give negativity and media and dumb friends and social media. I give it like 20 hours a day and I give God 20 minutes. And so if that's, if that's, if that's my setup, then I can't be shocked if I don't feel like I have a solid foundation to live my life on because I'm not hearing. Jesus said that first part, I got to hear. I got to hear the word of God. But he also gives us another part. He says, you can't just hear it. You got to obey it. He says, if you hear the teaching and you follow the teaching, so that means we've got to obey what we hear. And so for the time we have left today, that's what I want us to focus on, hearing and obeying, hearing and obeying. After serving God for 15 years, I've been, I've been, I've been following Jesus for 15 years, and I would say the best definition that I could give for spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, knowing Jesus more than I knew him yesterday, I would say the best definition that I could give you is hearing and obeying. Hearing and obeying. Now, I'll just kind of nerd out for a second and give you a little, little some random facts. Um, that the New Testament was written in Hebrew. And there is no Hebrew word for hearing and a separate Hebrew word for obeying. It's one word. The word is actually shma, which doesn't sound very like biblically fancy, but it's shma, S-H-E-M-A. It looks like shema. You pronounce it shma. This is the kind of stuff you learn when you're a pastor, all right? But, but all it means is it means hearing and obeying. 
There's no concept in the Hebrew that you would hear something but not obey. It's a hearing that drives you to, to action. You hear and you obey. So when you were, if you were reading Matthew uh, 7 in the, in the Hebrew, it would say, you must shema or shma my teaching and shma it. You hear it and obey it. It is the same thing. It's like the exact opposite of usually how husbands respond to the things that their wives are asking them to do as soon as they get home from work, right? It's like, I hear you, but I'm not helping you right now, right? It's the opposite of that. I saw um, one of those Facebook memes or whatever that goes around Facebook. It's one of my favorites that says, uh, ladies, if you ask a man to fix something, he'll do it. You don't have to remind him six months later. That is great right there. I love that, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about hearing and obeying, a type of hearing that drives us to action, that drives us to movement. So, so when the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God, it doesn't mean that your faith grows just because you listen. That's that same word. Faith comes from shma, all right? So faith comes from hearing and obeying the word of God, and hearing and obeying comes from the word of God, all right? So, so if we're going to talk about spiritual growth, we can't just talk about reading the Bible, praying, fasting, giving, coming to church. Those are all incredible foundational pieces. But spiritual growth is hearing and obeying. And there's probably not a better example of hearing and obeying in the Bible than a story found in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, start with verse 22 if you have a Bible and to read along with us. Uh, join along, Matthew 14, 22. This is a really famous story where Jesus and Peter walked on water, okay? Walked on water. Sometimes I wish I could read stories like this like I'd never heard them before because they're so miraculous. But I was hearing this story like at three in Sunday school. And so like I, I, sometimes it loses its like pop. But I, like we're gonna read this story today and I want you to just imagine What's going on in Peter's head as we're reading this, okay? Matthew 14, 22 through 25. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land and up for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now, we're going to keep reading in just a second, but I wanted to stop and make a point. It's not the main point, but I wanted to make the point that Jesus does some of his best work in the middle of the night. I mean, Jesus does some of his best work in the middle, middle of the night. Some of the most defining moments of hearing God's voice happen on sleepless nights. You can't figure out why you can't sleep. You can't figure out maybe why you're waking up. After following Jesus for 15 years, as crazy as it may sound, I am learning to recognize the difference between eating too much pizza before I go to bed and waking up and God waking me up so that he can communicate to me, right? It makes me think of the story in 1 Samuel 3, um, of, of the prophet Samuel when he was a child. You may know the story. I would encourage you to read it in 1 Samuel 3, but Samuel's a child. He's living in the temple with Eli. He's sleeping in the room where the Ark of the Covenant is, which is just kind of the presence of God, represents the presence of God. And as, as Samuel's laying there, someone says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel thinks it's 
Eli in the other room. He goes in there. Eli's like, it wasn't me. He goes back, tries to go to sleep. Samuel, Samuel goes back into Eli. Eli says, it wasn't me. But Eli realizes, man, God, I think God's trying to speak to you. So he said, he tells Samuel, the next time you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And so sure enough, Samuel lays back down. I mean, he's like seven, eight years old. He lays back down. And he hears Samuel, Samuel, and he says, speak, Lord, for I'm listening. And God begins to speak to him that we have to kind of learn how to identify that God is trying to speak to us. And for me, I don't want to make it sound like it happens all the time because it doesn't happen all the time. I'm not saying that. But I am kind of learning that there are those nights when I wake up at 1.30 and 2.45 and 4 and I'm frustrated that I'm not going to sleep and I'm starting to learn to say, God, are you trying to communicate with me? Are you trying to talk to me? Are you trying to speak to me? Am I, should I go read my Bible right now? Is there something that you're trying to communicate? Because see, for most of my life, I've been a night owl. How many night owls do we have? Like from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., you are in the zone, right? That was me. It was kind of great during, our, during Sadie, our first kid. Like I would do all the night feedings because like I was up at like 2 a.m., no big deal, right? But getting a little older, more kids, things changing at work. I have completely reversed now. Like, I'm laying down for bed like 9 o'clock right now. I'm so old. And I'm getting up at 5 a.m. And I got to tell you, I can't believe I would ever say this. I am loving some 5 a.m. I mean, like, I'm loving it. I mean, not every morning, but I'm, I'm loving it. And I love my sleep. So if I can't sleep those few times, I'm starting to say, like, God, are we did we have an appointment that I didn't know about and, and you want to speak, speak to me? When I was really, really little, really little. Matter of fact, if I'm being honest, I can't totally remember this, but my dad tells me the story. He went through a six-month stretch where he was having some anxiety attacks and some fear in his life, and he couldn't sleep. And he said every time he would wake up, it just would grab hold of him. And, and his dad told him, he said, every time you wake up, go downstairs, get your Bible out, and read your Bible till you fall asleep. My dad tells the story that there were mornings when my brother and I would wake up and go into the living room and my dad would be asleep with his face in the Bible. Now, a couple of things. First of all, it's incredible. As a kid, I don't remember it necessarily, but like that's pretty incredible to see your dad with his face in the Bible as opposed to like drunk passed out on the couch slobbering or something, you know. That's pretty powerful in itself. But God does some of his best work in the middle of the night. Andrew would tell you it's pretty common around our house that we'll, we'll lay down to go to sleep and um, I'll be laying there for 5, 10, 15 minutes and all of a sudden I'll sit up and I'll get out of bed and I'll kind of walk, I'll in a hurry go downstairs. She used to ask like, is everything okay? But now she just knows that something in that 5 or 10 or 15 minutes, I couldn't get it out of my head. There was a thought, there was a dream, there was something and I need to go write it down or I need to go read or whatever and a couple minutes later I'll come back upstairs. But, but God was trying to communicate with me, right? And, and I don't think there's anything extra special about bedtime. I just think it's one of the only times in my day where I'm still and I'm quiet and God's like, if you were still and quiet at, at, at two in the afternoon, I'd communicate with you at two in the afternoon, but this is one of the only times I can get you still and quiet. And so for me, I'm just saying for me, I'm married to somebody who's completely different. Andrea's a night owl. She likes doing her devotions at like 11 p.m. I like doing mine at 5.30 a.m. God works in different ways. But for me, I am learning in my life that God does some of his best work in the middle of the night. 
the middle of the night. But he, don't, he doesn't just do some of his best work in the middle of the night. He also does some of his best work in the middle of our storms, doesn't he? I wish life never had to be hard. I, sh- I wish we never faced storms. Can we just be honest for a second? For a lot of us, if we had never faced a storm, we probably wouldn't be here today this, in this room because, because we find him in the middle of our storms. As you look back on your life, I, I bet that you would find that your greatest seasons of spiritual growth came out of, came out of a storm. There's something about storms that cause us to look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. And that's what's happening. Let's keep reading in 26. So the disciples see him walking on the water, and rightfully so, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water this is just a public service announcement to, to help you out. You need to be very careful the if-then negotiations you make with God. The if-then arrangements you make with God, right? Because we do it all the time, right? We, we do it all the time. And God may just agree to your terms. And if he does, are you willing to follow through on your terms, right? I was just mentioning Samuel earlier, but Samuel's mom, Hannah, had an if-then deal with God. She said, if you will give me a child, because she couldn't have a child, if you will give me a child, then I'll give him back to you. And God said, okay. And sure enough, she followed through on the deal that she made with God. So, so w- would you really? Like, are you willing to, to, to really follow through? Will you, will you really start tithing if God gets you that job? Because I can't tell you how many people I talk to, they say, well, you know, if God would get me that job, then I would start tithing. I mean, I, I recognize that job comes from him, and I, I, would, I would start tithing. And Will you really? Because God may agree to your terms. Can't tell you how many people we pray with, you know, after a service here who will say, you know, they gotten in some trouble with the law and they'll say like, I've got this, this date with a judge and, you know, if, if, if God would just keep me out of jail, then I'd really commit my life to him. And I, I didn't used to say this, but now I, now I started saying this, like, will you really? Like, will you really? Because God may agree to your terms. He may keep you out of jail. If, if God healed you, would you really tell everybody about it? Because like, we, we pray and say, God, if you would heal me, then I'll tell everybody that you did it. God, I'll give you all the credit. I'll give you all the church words. You know, I'll give you all the glory. Would you really? Would you really? Because God may agree to your terms. And Peter was known for speaking before he would think. That was like his MO. And that's what, I think that's what's happening here. I don't think Peter really ever thought to himself like, yeah, I'm probably going to have to go out there. I think he just thought like, Jesus, if it's really you, then why don't you... If it's you, then tell me to come walk on the water. And Jesus is like, okay, come on. And Peter's probably like, see, what happened was um, it's three in the morning. I've, I don't even, I'm just, I, you know, I don't know. So in verse 29, Jesus said, yes, come. Come on. Okay. So Peter went over the side of the boat. I love how that describes that. Like Peter didn't like, you know, carefully stepped down the ladder. 
Peter just went over the boat and walked on the water. That, that's nuts. I, I know that if you're like me, you know, you saw some cartoon or some felt board and he would kind of move across the water. I want you to think about this for a second. Peter is walking on water. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus reached out immediately and grabbed him. And Jesus says, you have so little faith, which that statement blows my mind. Because there's only one guy out there on the water. There's 11 guys sitting in the boat. How come Jesus didn't look at the other 11 and say, you have no faith? He looks at the guy who took like five steps on water and was like, yeah, you don't have any faith. He just took five steps on water. I don't know why he said that, but I know that a lot of times the people who try to do the greatest things for God who have the most faith sometimes may seem like failures, but they're not failures. They're just taking the risks and having the faith that nobody else is willing. Because it was true that 11 disciples didn't sink that night, but only one walked on water. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God. And the Bible doesn't say this, and I'm just kind of making this up. So take it for what it's worth. But it says the disciples worshiped him and said, you really are the son of God. I don't think all the disciples were doing that. I think 11 disciples were doing that. I think Peter was sitting over in the corner speechless. Thinking, what just happened? What just happened? This is an incredible story. I just want you to let it sink in for a second. If spiritual growth is hearing and obeying, then Peter is a spiritual giant in my book because he had the faith to do something that no one else besides Jesus has ever done. When Jesus said, come, Peter jumped over the side of the boat and walked on water. He walked on the water. Now, this may sound like an odd story to use to talk about growing spiritually because it doesn't seem like a linear, nice discipleship class, workbook, DVD study to where we get done and we are closer to God. But I think it's the perfect story because the experiences that we have when by faith we obey God and do something that absolutely terrifies us and exhilarates us, those are the moments we grow. Those are the moments we grow. More than any church service, Bible study, podcast, whatever it is, those things are great. We resource those. We believe in those. More than any of those things, it's the reckless, courageous obedience that grows your relationship with God. It does. In the book, uh, there's a book I read a few years ago called Made to Stick. It's a business book about communication. It was written by these two brothers, Dan and Chip Heath. And in the book, they talk about, the, they coined this phrase called the uh, curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge. Really simple concept. Pretty much they explain it like this, that the curse of knowledge is any time that you know something and you can't not know it anymore. So let me just give you an example. So if you've ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense, okay, you can never watch that movie again like somebody who doesn't know how it ends. In case you haven't, in case you've been busy the last 15 years, haven't seen that movie, I don't want to ruin it for you, but 
But if you've ever seen it, you can never watch it again like somebody who doesn't know, because you know. There's nothing you can do to not know. You know, right? If you know that two plus two equals four, when you go to help your child with their kindergarten homework, you can't think like a kindergartner who doesn't know because you know, and you can't not know, you know. It's the curse of, it's the curse of knowledge, right? And the same thing is true about our relationship with God. Let's just call it the blessing of knowledge. That once you've courageously obeyed God and experienced the miracle, you can't go back to the way that it used to be. Once you walk on water, you can't think like someone who hasn't walked on water because you've walked on water. Once you lead a friend to Jesus, you can't go back to being someone who hasn't experienced the thrill of leading a friend to Jesus. Once you experience the blessings of a life that is totally committed to God and someone who gives generously and tithes and has seen God provide when the numbers didn't add up, you can't go back to not knowing what it's like. It's the blessing of knowledge. Obedience grows us and there's no going back. The question is, once you hear God calling you to come, will you go? Will you go? You may have heard the story uh, in the Bible about the two sisters, Mary and Martha. They had a brother, um, Lazarus, and uh, close friends with Jesus. So Jesus goes by their house one day, and the story's in Luke chapter 10 if you ever want to go read it. But you've probably heard the story, but Jesus goes by the house, and, and Mary is like, sitting with Jesus, not helping her sister Martha. And Martha's trying to be a great host, and she's cooking and cleaning and trying to get everything together. And, and, and I've always heard the story, and this is true, that she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, help, help, uh, help me by telling my sister she needs to come and help, like, like fix this. And Jesus says to Martha, you worry about many things, but only one thing is good. You know, Mary's found that or whatever. That's exactly how the story goes. But whenever I'm preparing for a sermon, sometimes I'll go and read stories in different translations just to kind of see if there's any kind of any nuggets in there. And so I went and read Luke 1041 in the King James Version, which I don't hardly ever read the King James Version. It's not any more spiritual. It's just dif more difficult to understand. And so in Luke 1041, when Martha comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my sister to help me, this is what Jesus said in the King James Version. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. And troubled about many things. Never seen the word careful in the story. Interesting, right? Jesus said, you're too careful. You're too careful. What if Martha was just acting mature and responsible and busy because that was the best way for her to hide out? I think if we're not careful, sometimes we can do that. We figure out a way to get our life together, to clean up, to raise a nice family. And somehow we accidentally redefine spiritual growth as stability. But what if our stability is just a safety net and coming to more church and joining more small groups is what we're doing to hide out so that God will never ask us to do anything that scares us? How sad would it be if one day at the end of our life God says to us, I love you, but you're too careful. I love you, but you were way too careful. I wanted to do some great, big things, but you were too careful. You want to be closer to God? 
I mean, you, you want to feel closer to God? How do you respond when Jesus speaks to you and obeying means taking a risk? I heard it said one time that everybody wants a miracle. Nobody ever wants to have to need one. Everybody wants to experience a miracle. Nobody just wants to be in a place where you have to have one. So when you feel God speaking and leading and nudging and prompting and lodging a thought in your head that you can't shake or you can't get rid of or 14 friends seem to be telling you the same thing, but in order to obey God would be to take a risk or to be scared or to have to make changes that scare you. Do you obey? Because if you don't, you're just like a bird in a cage who wants to spread their wings, but you're caged. And more information is not going to help you grow. Eventually, you will cap out on your knowledge and you will not be able to grow until you obey God in areas that scare you. Before Andrew and I became parents, we read books on parenting. They were fine books. I, mean, I never really read that much of them, but she did. And I'm sure I was probably growing as a parent anyway a little bit. But let me tell you when I grew as a parent, when that nurse handed that baby to me. And I was like, okay, here we go. I had to grow. I was a little bit terrified and a little bit exhilarated. But there was no going back. There was no going back. How do you respond when Jesus speaks to you and obeying means taking a risk? Recently, I felt God calling me to get out of my boat. Over the last year or so, I, I felt God calling and nudging and pushing me to write. I write blogs and articles for websites all the time, multiple a week, and I enjoy it. It's safe for me. I can do it. But I really have felt like Jesus has been calling me to begin writing books. And it's terrifying and exhilarating at the same time because that's what faith is, right? So after resisting for a little bit, I decided to go ahead and get out of my boat. So I started waking up at 5 a.m. to just start writing, to see what God would do. There's been some cool things that have happened, but more than anything else, I have been able to get to know God like someone, like only someone who wakes up at 5 a.m. to write a book. It doesn't make my experiences better than yours, but you can't know God like that unless you do that, and I have. A few years ago when Andrew and I felt like God was leading us to give away one of our cars, which would only leave us with one car and not enough money to buy a second car. It was a family who didn't have a vehicle and more than just a thought that that would be cool, we really felt led spiritually by God to give them our vehicle. So we did it, thinking that God would bless our obedience by providing a better vehicle in the next two or three weeks that turned into months of one vehicle with kids and two jobs. But you know what? We got to know God like only someone who gives away a car when, God, when you feel like God's telling you to. We, we, we got to know God that way. And you can only get to know God that way when you do that. One, one of our elders here at the church, Randy, uh, Griffith is in Guatemala right now on his first missions trip he's ever been on. 
last year or this year, the beginning of this year, when he heard us talking about Imagine Again and talking about our trips to Guatemala, he felt God standing out in the water looking into the boat saying, come on. And so he scheduled his vacation time at his work and he decided he would step out of the boat. And so Thursday he got on a plane to leave the country for the first time and is down there right now working, and he'll get back Tuesday. And let me tell you what's happened over the last five days and what will be true for the rest of his life. Randy will know God like, like someone can only know God when they decide to get on a plane and leave the country and go to a mission, on a missions trip. Doesn't mean you gotta go on a missions trip, but there is something that God is calling you to do and leading you to do and nudging on you and pushing on you to do. And if you won't obey, then you're, you won't grow. Because you got to get to know him like someone who hears and obeys him. Hears and obeys him. Heard a story recently about a, a lady named Lisa. Lisa works full time at, um, at the Dream Center in Birmingham, Alabama for Church of the Highlands, an incredible church in Birmingham who uh, reaching their community in an incredible way. But they have a building called a Dream Center set up specifically to minister to the homeless, needy, drug addicts in the community. Lisa works there. And so one morning, uh, Lisa was starting her day like she tries to always start her day, doing devotions. She was reading her Bible. She was praying. And as she got ready to leave, she describes it in a way that's, that she felt as silly as, she, as it sounds. She said, in the in this most mysterious way, heavy way, I felt God leading me or, or like telling me to take a pair of woolly socks with me to work. It's like the strangest prompting ever. Like, I just feel like God said, take a pair of woolly socks to work. She said it was so strong, I couldn't not do it. So she goes to her drawer, gets out a pair of woolly socks, put her in her purse and goes to work. She's always the first one there. She unlocks the building. She gets there that morning and laying on the front steps is a prostitute completely passed out. She goes, unlocks the door, carries the lady in with her, and holds her in her arms until she regains consciousness. The lady wakes up, and she's shaking, she's cold, she's scared, and Lisa says to her, if you could have anything, what would you want? Without even thinking about it, the prostitute looked at Lisa and said, a pair of woolly socks. Lisa started crying, reached into her purse, pulled out the socks, and put them on her feet. You know what happened? That day, Lisa knew God, got to know God in a way that only somebody who could hear and obey and see how God does that could know him. And I love that God knows us so well that in Birmingham, Alabama, he knows that somebody wouldn't just want socks, they would want woolly socks. And so he stood outside of a boat and he looked at a lady named Lisa and he said, come, and she did. And she can never go back. How do, you, how do you try to serve and follow God like someone who doesn't know that that's how it works? It, it's like, it's like gr outgrowing your clothes but putting a shirt back on and stretching it and then you want to wear it again and it just doesn't fit the same anymore because you've grown. You know God differently now. Let me ask you a question. You think Peter stepped back into that boat with more hope that day? Are you kidding? Of course he did. 
Because when you experience Jesus in a new way, you're transformed again. And you're transformed again. And you're transformed again. And you're filled again with more hope. Let me, let me end with a challenge today. I want to challenge you. There's a guy named Thomas Shepard. Thomas Shepard was one of the original founders of Harvard College in 1636. And, and Thomas had a catchphrase that he was known for using around campus. His catchphrase was, make a new experiment. Make a new experiment. In his biography, he, uh, he asked this question. He said, why do people experiment with the sciences but not with Scripture? Why do people experiment with the sciences but not with, with Scripture? Interesting thought. Got me thinking. What if instead of viewing spiritual disciplines as disciplines, we viewed them as, as spiritual experiments? Because who likes disciplines? Nobody likes disciplines. And sometimes I think we talk about reading your Bible and praying and fasting. We talk about them like disciplines, like hold your nose and just do it, right? But what if they're not spiritual disciplines? What if they're spiritual experiments? What if instead of saying like, okay, well, I need to pray, so I guess I'll pray. What if we said, God, for the next 40 days, I'm going to pray about one person or one thing every day for 40 days. I just want to see what you do. That's not a discipline. That's an experiment. What about a fasting experiment? So proud of so many of you guys over the last 21 days who have experimented through fasting like you never have before. It's not a discipline. It's an experiment. God, I'm not going to eat, or I'm not going to eat these things. I just want to see what you're going to do in my life. What if reading the Bible wasn't reading the Bible? What if it wasn't like, well, i got to read the Bible? What if it was an experiment? What if you said, God, I'm reading the Bible today, and I'm not going to stop reading until something in here gives me my next challenge? Something in here gives me my next assignment, that thing that I'm supposed to start doing. What if instead of just reading the Bible, you took a pen, and every time you read something in the Bible that felt like a promise that was for your life, you circled it, and you hung it on a wall somewhere, and you just begin to say those promises of God over your life over and over and over again. That's not a discipline. That's an experiment. And you say, God, what, what would happen? What would happen? Maybe... Maybe it's time to do something new. Here's what I know. I know that if I keep doing what I've always done, I'll stay who I am. Know that for sure. But if I courageously obey the voice, feelings, impressions, and nudges of the Holy Spirit in my life, God will grow me into more than I ever imagined I could be. So, maybe... For some of you, it's time for you to obey that nagging feeling that you have to serve in ministry. Serve in the children's ministry here at the church. Or maybe it's to serve in a ministry around the city. Maybe it's a homeless shelter, a soup kitchen. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to courageously write that first tithe check. Not because it's a discipline, but because it's an experiment. Maybe it's time for you to go ahead and schedule your 2016 vacation days for your first missions trip. Just maybe. 
God would do something incredible. Maybe it's time for you to bring up your relationship with God to that person that you care about that needs Jesus, but you've been so terrified to do it that you just couldn't, you couldn't make it happen. What if you just did it? What if you just did it? Who knows? You just might walk on water, and you can't go back. There's no going back. You'll never be the same. Let's pray.